Hello and welcome to The Fandamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Sorry, did I hit my head and wake up in patriarchal bullshit land? Don't put me in charge! It certainly worries me to make self-defeating mistakes out of fear of appearing weak. You were right. We are from different worlds. That is a failing indeed, but I cannot love it. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. The theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Soner, available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello. Julia. Hey. Whitney. For the record, Whitney did say hello, but due to some technical difficulties, her recording is going to pick up at about eight minutes in, so sorry. Apple, who is support staff for TGI Femslash. Hello! And the five of us are here. Five, yes, I did that. Uh, for <laughs> a very special Fundamentalist, where we are going to be talking about Black Panther and pretty much only Black Panther, the movie, because it's more about than worthy else? of its own podcast. Uh, you can also check out myself, Gretchen, and Julia's writing on thefandamentals.com for fundamentally sound fandom analysis. We also have a buttload of other podcasts on there if you want to listen to complaints about Game of Thrones in one podcast feed, mm -hmm. or a femslash podcast called Ladies First. And then what's cinematic release is our movie podcast. Yes. No, it's called, it's called Beneath, the, Beneath the Screen. Now. Beneath yes. the Screen. Oh, what... <laughs> That's not a <laughs> body. All right, fine. <laughs> I'll allow it. Uh, so yeah, just to break down what's going to happen in this episode, we're, of course, going to have our fandom news first. And then after that, we're going to be discussing Black Panther. Uh, our first segment will be focused on our, you know, like overall reactions and the characters. We're going to have a fun segment for you that is finally not about Game of Thrones. It's going to be about... <laughs> or the prequel trilogy. <laughs> oh my god. It's going to be about villains. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe we found, you know, Senator Palpatine really compelling. <laughs> I know I did. We'll make a case that sure. he was right all along. <laughs> well, he wasn't wrong, was he? <laughs> he was just trying to create order. <laughs> and then segment two, we'll be discussing Black Panther themes and messaging. And probably politics and stuff, because, hey, the personal is political, and movies aren't created or consumed in a cultural vacuum. Imagine what? that. What? I know. Mind-blowing. But let's start off with some mind-blowing news, because uh, I think we've been gone for three weeks also, which yes. is entirely my fault. I had a trip to Chicago that I forgot to, like, plan around. So Well, and, I mean, and there was TGIFM slash. Oh, there was, right. So I was oh, yeah. gone and hanging out with Apple. How was TGI Fem Slash, you guys? Amazing. Oh, it was amazing. This is the best one yet. I, I totally. do have to admit. Um, yes. Yeah. It, was, oh, yeah. it was great or whatever. No, it was, it was <laughs> it totally was fine. fun. It was totally fun. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was, it, it was incredible and it feels more like a family reunion, as cheesy as it is. Um, we're not a cult. Um, but it was, it was, it was really, it was really, really great. And we had a lot of fun, made a lot of new friends, and we want more friends. I, I really hope that you make that your tagline for next year. Slash. We are not a cult. The thing oh, is, no, it, it, it is. is, though. It is. We've like, been saying it all weekend. The minute it, somebody said because... it, everyone repeated it over and over. Yeah. Is the Kool-Aid at least a good flavor? 
yes. It's lady flavored. Cherry lime so flavored. It's, <laughs> it's my favorite flavor. It is lady oh, yes. flavored. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Um, okay. Let's just do news. Speaking, uh, let's, let's just do news tangentially related. Uh, in like a month, holy crap, where is time going? Uh, Clexicon is mm-hmm. occurring. Yeah. Yes. And we sort of just got our schedules they're not completely finalized yet they will be uh ne- early next week but uh gretchen apple and i are actually all on a korasami panel together saturday night at 6 p.m and we will not be hungry or cranky at all so no. that's no. <laughs> that's no. great not uh, no, at I, all. I am excited for that <laughs> uh right before it i've got a panel that i think gretchen's moderating on yes. neurodiversity and representation gretchen you've got a panel on sunday too Yep, I have a panel on the uh, responsibility of media makers, which is a follow-up to my panel last year on the ethics of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got uh, Elizabeth doing a panel on queer ladies in video games. That sounds like something she would talk about. And uh, in general, I know that uh, TGIFM slash and the Fundamentals, we both are going to have tables and stuff set up at oh, yeah. so come find and us there are, yeah there are multiple other people from tjfm slash who are on panels as well yeah oh yeah absolutely and i will 90 percent be at the table so if we don't have enough time to talk about korasami in the panel everyone can find me at the table for sure yep i'll just be talking about korasami at all points during the weekend anyway so. yeah that was me last week just... it'll be me this year you should have a little badge that says, like, ask me about Korasami. Honestly, like, like, I should just wear that every day. It doesn't need to be contained to Flexcom. <laughs> That's valid. Ask me about my feelings on Just Korasami. like, well, excuse me, do you have 40 minutes to talk about Asami's hairpin? <laughs> <laughs> Because that's really what's central to that relationship. Anyway, into real news. Not like that that's fake news, but news contained to our media. Uh, we have breaking news, I guess, that Viola Davis and Lupita Nyong'o are going to star as mother and daughter in The yes. Woman King, which is the true story of Dahomey so Amazon excited. Warriors. Which is what the Dora Milaje and Black Panther are based off of. Yeah. I'm so excited. That's really freaking cool. Um, it's like a period drama. It's, like, set in, like, late 19th century. And oh. it's, like, anti, like, colonial, you know, because they were fighting against, like, the French colonists. And, like, it's amazing. Because we, we have a period drama not set in England. We have a period drama where black people aren't slaves. <laughs> I, I thought England was the only place that history happened. So. <laughs> I don't know about this. Uh, we've got... Disney news, because there's always Disney news. Uh, Marvel bumped up Infinity War, so it's going to be airing in April. I don't know what they were spreading it out from. Maybe the solo story? Uh, Is that still Memorial Day? Yes. It's Memorial Day. Yeah, Yeah. end of May. It's still kind of weird when you're just like, Disney news, let's talk about Marvel. And you're like, what? Yeah. (laughs) I just, I don't even know if it's worth me catching up on, like, Civil Wars and Thor Ragnarok to go watch this but I really like T'Challa's character, so I kind of want to track him. So I don't know. Mm. Are there complicated familial dynamics in Thor Ragnarok? Y- yes. Yes, there are. No, but there's a scene that's kind of sort of gay. And there's Tessa Thompson, so that should be it. That's true. Okay. Well, like, Hela. <laughs> Hela is related to Thor, so, like, that's a complicated yeah, family yeah. dynamic. They're siblings. Unless you're motivated entirely by guilt. I'm not sure I can watch it. (laughs) Speaking of family dynamics and guilt, Mulan was bumped to 2020. That kind of works. 
Aren't there um, two Mulans? Yes. Yeah, this is the live action by oh, Disney. Disney, yeah. I think it's the Disney one that got bumped. Maybe to not interfere with the other live action Mulan. Oh my god. Which is the dark and gritty Mulan. I have yeah. a lot of feelings about Mulan, so I'm holding, I'm reserving judgment until then. I'm, I'm waiting on it. I, I'm, I'm kind of avoiding news because, yeah, I have a lot of feelings about Mulan. Um, just being a queer Asian in high school when Mulan came out. <laughs> yeah, a lot of feelings about Mulan. Yep. I have a feeling they're going to know homo the hell out of um, Mulan and Shang. Probably. To be honest. For sure. Uh, hey, by the way, we have a remake of Logan's Run coming Why? out. Why? Why? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. What? I don't Maybe we'll have a less cheesy robot in that tunnel. <laughs> I don't know. I have no what? idea, but apparently we can't have original stories anymore. No. Well, maybe not. Because, hey, new Avatar The Last Airbender comics were announced. They're going to be coming out in September. It's the first trilogy is called Imbalance. And instead Mm. of... Imbalance uh, or Inbalance? Is it a preposition or is it an affix? Imbalance. Like I am. I am. Okay. Okay. Uh, (laughs) And they're switching up the creative team. So it's going to be written by Faith Aaron Hicks. And an artist is uh, Peter Wartman. Maybe maybe Katara will actually have like be written well. I have fingers crossed optimism for this one because I mean I know ne- next to nothing about Faith Aaron Hicks. She was nominated for an Eisner, uh, but she is like just some nerd from Canada. Like, if you read her interviews, that's <laughs> all you know about her. And she's like, oh, well I still then. remember. I remember watching the Avatar finale air live. I'm like, okay, you're Aww. in. <laughs> she's a good. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. It's going to focus on bender non-bender tensions, which is interesting oh. cuz like obviously it can't be super resolved cuz Cora exists. So, I'm curious what they do with it, but I think what's really important for this franchise is just that there's a writer with a story they want to tell and it really <laughs> sounds like she has one. So, I'm tentatively excited and I think we will not get another comic that accidentally endorses imperialism. <laughs> that was awkward. <laughs> Oh, North and South. Um, the next piece of news I'm sure Gretchen wants to take. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. Um, so, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, Gina Rodriguez is going to be guest starring on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And um, I really, really hope she's going to be Rose's girlfriend. <laughs> please let it happen. Please. Please, 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 please. Oh, my gosh. Wasn't that what... um. Who is Rose's actor? I'm sorry, I forgot her name. Stephanie Beatrice. Yeah, didn't she like specifically ask for Gina Rodriguez to be her girlfriend? I mean, she endorsed it. Yeah, yeah. That was one of her. I think she like said something about it on Twitter. It wasn't like an official request. It was just kind of like yeah. that could be fun. <laughs> I this would be great. Yes, uh, it would. The next piece of news, this is just if anyone's interested in Floriana Lima, who, uh, after leaving <laughs> Supergirl, it looks like she's going on to be in The Punisher on Netflix for season two. There is Interesting. also a couple other people that were announced as joining that, and I didn't write them down, so... Okay, speaking of Marvel on Netflix, did anybody else see the International Women's Day trailer for Jessica Jones? And is anybody what? else's eyes yeah. still stuck in the back of their head? Um, <laughs> I mean... It's- she is a woman, I guess. <laughs> but it's so... <laughs> it's making me a little worried about season two. Can corporations, like, stop with that? Yeah. Like, it, let, let us draw our meaning from it, you know? 
Yeah. It's a little pandering. Just a I really bit hope that Jessica Jones isn't like her going on this bender and like murdering guys because feminism or something. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, it's so no empowering show. though, Kylie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got news that Yvette Nicole Brown, who you guys probably know from Community, is going mm-hmm. to be, uh, she was Shirley, she's going to be starring in an ABC comedy from Greg Berlanti and Diablo Cody, who, I, yeah, I don't know. Diablo Cody is just, she, she's a woman who wrote Juno. Um, and then we unfortunately have familiarity with the Berlantis. So I'm trying to figure Berlanti writing a comedy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'm really happy that she has a, star- a starring role because she's mm. a very talented comedic actress. Actor. Sorry, Joyo. Uh, I forgive you. But, yeah, I don't know. We'll keep our eye on that one because this just seems like a very odd creative team behind it, you know? So. Uh, other news? Fem slashers really care about this one. I don't know why but there's a new overwatch hero introduced named bridget well that means like you know so many more fem slash combinations of overwatch yeah <laughs> tumblr uh, really needs i guess yeah. she's... <laughs> i think she i think she's also on the like more um muscular side so from people that i know who find that appealing that's also part of it is like another buff woman yeah uh, she's buff and brunette i guess i'm looking at her right now she has nice yellow armor that kind of reminds me of bumblebee from transformers right. oh. i have mixed yeah i have mixed feelings like i don't play i mean i don't play overwatch so i might not be the best person to ask but um i do like i think it's cool to have another female character but at this point overwatch does not currently have a black woman as a playable character and i think that like if they were to add anything they should start you know adding more women of color to be able to play because, yeah. you know, yay, another white lady to play. Cool. I mean, her design okay. is nice. I like her tattoo. Right. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. At this point in the game, the game's been out for over a year. I just let and Overwatch people do their Overwatch thing. To me, it's like an arena game. There's like, you know, not a whole lot of canon. But I guess that's what makes it fun. Yeah. So. Do I- do either of you play? I Overwatch? do not. I don't. I do not. Okay. World of Warcraft was enough Blizzard for me. Yeah. yeah I feel like if I started oh, playing it now, it'd be way too far behind. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's definitely how I feel, too. Um, okay, two more pieces of news really quickly. Adventure Time is coming back March 18th yes. with four new episodes. Hi. In one yes. uh, make bubbling cannon. Yes. But, uh, it's already cannon. Like I had to announce this because you will never know what Cartoon Network is doing, and yep. it's in one block, I'm sure, so they can get back to Teen Titans Go. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my God. There you I go. love that show so much. And then the final piece of news. I don't know if person watches it. Okay. And I'm sorry, I love this. Joss Whedon dropped out of writing Batgirl because, <laughs> lol, he realized he didn't have a story. Oh, oh my God. That's good though, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, it is. it's better than the alternative, clearly. <laughs> and then Roxanne Gay, I was on Twitter, she's just like, hey, I could write it. I'm like, yes, please. please. Yeah. Fia, amazing. You should, honestly, like, following her on Twitter is one of the best experiences. She has no chill and it's great. None whatsoever. I love, every time she's like, smacks someone down, I'm like, thank you. I need this. Yep. 
Yep. Exactly. She's, yeah. But Joss Whedon, like, he signed up to do this movie. I'm sorry, Barbara Gordon is objectively a really interesting character. Mm. And he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of a story to tell. I just wanted to do it. (sighs) Okay. Oh, whatever. All right, Joss, you do you. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I guess that's a good transition because comics and... Joss was involved with Marvel. I don't know. I'll get there eventually. You know what is significantly better than if Joss Whedon had made Batgirl? The fact that Black Panther exists. You mean Marvel Studios' Black Panther? Yes. Yes, we mean that. And on that note, we are going to transition into our first segment. Right, so we are going to start things off by talking about Black Panther, the newest Marvel film, which is awesome. And before we dive into character stuff, let's just talk about first impressions. Julia has requested to give hers first because it is superficial, so go! Okay, so my first impression was just like, Wakanda is super cool and I kind of want to move there. Um, but also like... I know there's probably like an, a ginormous like 50 year long canon about it in the comics and everything but like I kind of I want a lot more detail like I want to know exactly what their educational system system is like I want to know how these five tribes interact I want to know more about like the gorilla people and how like they're like they live in the mountains and they're not part of the society but they also are and just like so you have this like secret like dome city thing which probably has a name what? What's the, the name of the secret dome city thing? I mean, that's Wakanda. That's, that's Wakanda? Wakanda. But like, but yeah. there's like the part with the like rhinos on the outside is also Wakanda, right? Well, that's just a front, but yeah. Okay. Well, it's a pretty small country then. But um, like, yeah, I want to know a lot more details. But I, yeah, like I want to know exactly where geographically in Africa it I is. I actually looked it up. <clears throat> It's in the yeah. south, uh, no, excuse me, the northwest corner of Kenya, kind of near um, Uganda and um, Ethiopia. Um, yeah. Because they filmed it in South Africa, right? Um, Did I make that up? No, uh, they actually filmed in, most of it in Atlanta. Um, Georgia. But most of it in Atlanta. Well, like, even like the establishing shots and all that stuff? It was filmed... All over the world. I'm reading a site called Hello Giggles that's this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's mainly filmed in Atlanta. It was yeah. filmed partially in South Korea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, while well, they were in South Korea. Right. Argentina for the waterfalls. Then South Africa, Zambia, and Uganda for some of the establishing shots. Okay. okay. So, yeah, multiple locations. Yeah, it did kind of, it seemed very, like, African piecemeal. I suppose that's a bit of a criticism, actually. Like, you know, it was clearly, like, you know, southern eastern Africa in landscape, but, like, a lot of, like, kind of, like, aesthetic details were, like, from western Africa, and it's just, like... <laughs> but Yeah, I've, I've seen, like, uh, two sides of that, where some say yeah. it's kind of, like, a, a criticism in that it's... It, it was treating everything as a monolith. Others mm-hmm. were like, well, no, it's more like a celebration of everything. Yeah. So, mm. so that's interesting. But yeah, I guess, I guess that's plausible if it's like near that South Sudan, Uganda, Kenya border. Yeah. Well, cause like one of, like one of the thoughts I had was that it's kind of like, like Rwanda, like what Rwanda will be like in 30 years if it keeps on its like scary track of like super fast development. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe it's where Rwanda is. <laughs> Do they have like magical? Oh, they have their metal. 
No, but like Rwanda's developing at like a scarily fast rate and doing like remarkably well. So, and it's got like kind of a history of very like centralized political authority and everything like that. That's true. Mm. All right. Next impressions. Gretchen. One of our guests wants to go. Oh, okay. Me. <laughs> um, my initial impression was just that I loved it. Mm. I thought it was a very, um, all of the characters were so interesting. I liked the the themes. It was beautiful. So, like, yeah, I'll talk about that because we'll talk about themes and characters later. I thought this was one of the most beautiful, like, movies that I had seen in a really, really long time. Like, there was color everywhere. Um, I loved the artistic choices. And one of my favorite things has been reading all of the, like, Twitter feeds that talk about, all like, where – the costume designers and the art direction, like, drew all of their inspiration from the mm-hmm. various tribes throughout Africa. It's just, like, they – it's so clear that they were so – that they were very intentional about mm-hmm. their artistic choices in a way that I do think, like, celebrates, um, like, pan-African, like, culture. Even to the point where, like, that's a thing in the casino scene. Um, Nakia is in green and T'Challa is in black. And Okoye is in red, and those are the mm-hmm. colors of the Pan-African flag. Mm-hmm. Like, even just, like, those details to me just show that, like, not only is it, like, visually beautiful and stunning. It felt like, like, a feast for my <laughs> eyes. Like, all of these shots, like, you know, like, the the um, the realm of the ancestors had these, like, beautiful, like, skies. It was just gorgeous. Yeah. Beautiful. And, like, I loved how much color it was bright, like – with all this trend to have like dark sets and people dress in like dark drab colors to like go see a movie <laughs> that was just like color everywhere um yeah. was was really like refreshing and beautiful like mm-hmm. i just, i loved all of the shots from an artistic perspective so that's what i will say about it for now yeah uh yeah, no, I was going to say, I think in terms of saturation, it hasn't been since Avatar, and I have very mixed feelings on Avatar, <laughs> that I remember being that, like, oh my god, color, it exists. <laughs> uh, Whitney, what did you think? Uh, oh gosh, what did I think? Just disclaimer, I've seen this movie four times. Oh my. <laughs> yes. You look a Mega Mart must be very happy. Uh, it, this, this movie was, as you said, it was gorgeous. Anyway, like, no, no, well, Thor Ragnarok is probably the only other Marvel movie that's been this colorful. Mm. And, like, that is, this is, it was, it was great to just sit in the theater and just be, like, overwhelmed by, like, the beauty of the landscapes, the people, and everything. But then it was also, like, a funny movie. Mm-hmm. It was, the action scenes were amazing to me. Um, and just, just seeing seeing a, uh, an African country just untouched by the outside world was really cool. And seeing how they progressed was like, it was just awesome. I just, I just really love this movie. Like, I, can, I <laughs> it's, just, it's hard to describe sometimes, like, how much I love it. I just really enjoyed it, obviously, since I'm going to probably see it by playing more I gotta times. ask, after seeing it four times, but, uh, like, does the plot still hold up? Or did you, like, notice glaring hot plot holes after rewatch? Uh, I mean, it. It, it holds up. I actually, I end up like picking up on more small things the more times I see it. Um, it's, I, th- I think they, they, the, the, the main characters we got, they all have very distinct arcs, which is nice. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but do I wish there was a little bit more on Killmonger? Yes. <laughs> um, to get more into his motivations, but 
I mean, it's a like a two hour movie, so you can only do so much. But I, it to me, it still holds up. Like the 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 like I know every beat of the action scenes, and I'm just like, ooh, yes, yes. <laughs> like it's still it's still a surprise during the second challenge scene how things go down, even though I've seen it four times. Like it's mm. it's good. Yeah, it's good. Awesome. Uh, Apple? Yeah, uh, yeah um, like Whitney, I've seen it multiple times. Uh, yesterday <laughs> was my third time watching it, and I watched it with a couple friends. It was their fourth time, and every every time I watched it, it was like an experience. Like The first time I watched it, it was uh, kind of a preview for the live Twitter Q&A um, at San Francisco AMC Metreon, which Ryan Coogler did talk about. I was like, Ooh, that's where I'm at right now. Um, and it was amazing in IMAX. It was just visually stunning in my face. Like, whoa, amazing. The second time was with 40 friends with TGI Femme Slash. We all, like 40 of us, were like, oh my god, this movie's amazing. And then yesterday in um, Grand Lake Theater, which is uh, an Oakland landmark, where Ryan Coogler did show up for the opening night of Black Panther, because I, Ryan Coogler's from Oakland. Um, and it was just, it was really amazing because, like everyone said, it was visually stunning. Um, and from being in, from the Bay Area, the minute you go into Wakanda City and then you see the train system around, and I'm like, oh my God, I wish Bart mm-hmm. looked like that. Because it, it <laughs> reminded me of the, of the, of the train subway type system that we have out here in the Bay. Um, and just, and of course, every time I go when in the opening credits, when it says 1992 Oakland, like somebody's cheering in the crowd and it just like, it's, it's, it's amazing feeling. Um, but I just, God, and yesterday after we watched it, the three of us, me and my friends, even though we had seen it multiple times, we looked at each other like, wow, what did we just watch? Almost like we had just watched it mm-hmm. again for the first time. But like Whitney said too, I, I noticed so many different things that I hadn't before, but it still holds up. It still gives me these adrenaline, adrenaline rushes and just fills me with so much joy watching something that was really great and not white. Like, mm-hmm. like it, it wasn't, and it was, it was great and it was refreshing, but it wasn't kind of um, publicized as, you know, specifically black movie. This was a movie, it's a superhero, but it was also not white, which was really great and refreshing yeah yeah you guys are i'm like so jealous you've seen it this many times because after i first watched it i was i had this like weird it's almost like a fevery reaction like i have to go see it again right now it's like but wait i just watched Mm -hmm. it yesterday i can't do that um i just i haven't had a chance since but i'm thinking if i edit this podcast fast enough i can go see it tonight yeah. <laughs> uh yeah i'll just i mean i'll just echo everything everyone was saying uh i don't mind spoilers or anything like that so going in the only thing i read was a nerdist review by mark bernardin uh and he was mm-hmm. talking about how he loved it uh but the one thing that it got wrong was that there was no arc for t'challa the main character so i went in kind of expecting it to oh. be like exciting but flat and then i was like wait this is this is an arc this is a really important arc so the whole time i was like really excited by watching you know t'challa basically shed his idealization of the past and his you know father and then focus on the struggle with uh you know wakanda in contemporary society and like the path forward and all that uh so Mm -hmm. i was like super super into the plot 
I measure how much I like a movie by how long I'm willing to wait before I run to the bathroom. And <sighs> I probably like almost gave myself a UTI with this movie because I just didn't, I did not get up. Okay, like, so you know how like everybody knows now that you have to sit through the fucking credits because there's always an end credit scene? I had right. to go to the bathroom right. so bad, but I sit there like a sucker for the stupid post credit scene and it was just like fucking Bucky and I was like, See, I actually knew that was coming, so I didn't. I didn't do that one. I did the um. The first one the, is good. The mid credit one. Yeah, yeah the, the first mid credit one. one I loved. Yeah. The fir- yeah. that, that one was actually like yeah, I'm not relevant gonna lie. to my yes. life. Like I was, I was waiting for them to show us Bucky. I was like, y'all put him in a freezer last time we yeah. saw him. So <laughs> where is he? So was that place like under the magic dome, or was it outside with the rhinos? That looked like it was outside. Yeah, because like in the dome thing is just the city. This is right. what I mean. I want details. <laughs> well, I'm sure there will be details to come, Julia. Okay. But I, I actually, uh, I'm very rarely like critiquing the movie as I'm watching it when I'm in theaters. But I just remember thinking over and over again, this pacing is fantastic. Like, mm-hmm. th- that was my main thought. There was no scene that felt extraneous, and there was no like action. Se- I don't even like action that much. There was no action sequence where I was like, "Oh, of course we're doing this." Like the car chase was amazing. Mm-hmm. The so fight at the mm-hmm. end was amazing and character driven. It was just like Ugh. everything was character driven. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and Andy Circus was actually like intimidating somehow. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Andy Circus. This was annoying, man. Yes. Ugh. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will say it was um when I was watching it I spent the whole time up until almost the end I was like I know that accent where is he from where is he from and then he said Joburg and I was like oh he's he's Afrikaans of course <laughs> mm-hmm. but like I just like it was one of those where I'm like I know that accent but I can't place it I couldn't place it and it was bugging me cuz I was mm-hmm. like I want like I know that I know where this character is supposed to be from but it wasn't until he said Joburg and I was like oh right yeah he's yeah, Afrikaans like- which the makes worst- so much sense for his character as to why he's such a huge da- asshole. <laughs> Honestly, the worst thing I can say about this movie, which isn't even a criticism. I mean, yeah, it's that, probably uh, it's clearly to my design that he's so fucking annoying. Well, yeah, but it's just that uh, every scene Shuri was in, I couldn't look at anyone else. Oh, Because yeah. she just stole everything. Mm, that's yes. true. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yes. Well, you, I mean, which gonna- is- I was going to say, that's a great transition to actually talking about the characters. Like, Shuri is, like, She's a little too competent. Yep. I mean, she's 16, apparently. It's not that yeah. it's not that she has the capacity to design all these things. It's just, like, the amount of things she has designed in six years, 16 years of being alive <laughs> more than anything else. It's like, when did she have she's, time for this? <laughs> like, she's canonically, I think, the smartest character in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. yeah. No, but, like, yeah. even, like, like, the thingy, like, with the, the alternating currents of the thing where they move the vibranium. Yeah. Like, how did they move it before? Like, four years ago, when she was 12. How did they move it? By so, hand, maybe? By hand? <laughs> Just With like the rhinos? Buckets? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> On a very slow train? <laughs> <laughs> like, it was a Q branch scene. It was yeah. a damn Q branch scene starring. But if she was a like 75, if she was 75, I would have believed that she'd have time to invent all these things. It's just like. Oh a- my god, Julia, it's a freaking superhero. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And um, I saw this tweet that was like, her what are those means that oh Vine exists in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. Which has a lot of implications for like, it's like, that means that they've seen this and it was like some weird Vine of someone spanking Spider-Man. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you this better is- believe that like Shuri, now that T'Challa is king, like she 
like sends him all like cat videos and is just like, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) She would. My favorite though is that like I saw a piece of fan art that had Shuri wearing a shirt that showed Black Panther sitting in a cardboard box and it said, if I fits, I sits. And I was like, oh, Electris. I love that. Mr. Box. What I really like about Shuri and T'Challa is they feel like a, like siblings, they feel like siblings to me. Like I give my brothers and I, we give each other so much shit, but I would also, you know, fight for them, but I would also like knock them down a cliff at the same time. And I feel like T'Challa and (laughs) Shuri have that same kind of relationship. Like, you know, Shuri, like, recording T'Challa's getting his ass kicked by the suit. Like, that's something that my <laughs> brothers would do. But also, she's, like, screaming at him during the ritual challenge. Like, you can do this, T'Challa. Like, kick his yeah. ass. And that was really <laughs> amazing, too. Like, they they just felt like real siblings to me. They're, it's written so well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 100%. I mean, it was, it was nice to have, like, authentic siblings in a mm-hmm. movie. Like they, yep. I, I agree. Every every time they were on, like even when we first met Shuri, and like she asked, "Did he freeze?" And you could like right, right away, I was like, "Yes, I love this character. <laughs> she, uh, that is that is the younger sibling. That is me. I feel it. She's great." And they kept it. I mean, right. I, you got to do that. You got to like rib your siblings. Doesn't matter if they're about to be the king. You got to <laughs> yeah, knock them right down a peg. Right. I I um I also think on a similar vein the like chemistry between Nakia and T'Challa was perfectly written where there's a romance, but it's not like a romantic, like a romance film. It's just, Mm. okay, this is their established dynamic. We can tell there's a lot of history there and we can tell that there's a lot of really strong feelings. And it just was like, so perfect. I think that it wasn't necessarily a focal point, but it was still like fully there and fully textured. I mean, they established their entire dynamic in like 30 seconds. And I was like, yes, I believe it. Like, Y'all, y'all have dated for a long time in the past, but then the key was clear, like, yo, I gotta go save the world. Mm-hmm. The child was like, I will be here to wait for you whenever you want to come back to me. I'm here. <laughs> right, right. I love that they, um, Apple and I actually had this conversation. I think it was after the first time we saw it, um, about how they didn't make her the focal point of T'Challa's arc. Like, he wasn't mm-hmm. trying to change to, like, impress Nakia or to, like, win her. Right. So, and she, like, she never, like, delivered an ultimatum that was like, you know, we can't be in a relationship unless you change. And then he changes and, oh, look, they're in a relationship. Right. It was just like, I'm doing my thing. You have your thing to do. We don't see ourselves in a similar place in terms of, like, ideals and direction right now. And then, like, T'Challa's arc like leads him to a place where he happens to end up where Nakia kind of was at the beginning. And mm-hmm. then like, Oh yeah, maybe we can make this work now because you're in a different place. But it wasn't like the goal wasn't to try and like, he was, his goal wasn't to like earn a romantic relationship with Nakia. Yeah. He changed right. for himself yeah. because he saw yes. things for himself. It just happened to go along the same path as Nakia. So mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, they find themselves where they are, but it wasn't for each other. It was yes. because this is the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. And s- similarly, she wasn't like driven because of her love for him. She just, you know, didn't want him to die. Cause right. He's a good person. Like it wasn't necessarily <laughs> romantic. It was just yeah. her doing the right thing. And then that 
that helped drive the plot, but it wasn't in this way that felt shoehorned or unearned or anything. Right. Right. It's just, you know, they're characters. You know, honestly, I usually have frustrations when movies are like, oh, here's the love interest that already existed. Here's the friend that already existed. But like even, you know, T'Challa and Wakabi, you could tell that they have this dynamic. You could tell that they have this history together and Mm -hmm. that they have these good times together. Like everything felt so real, I guess, and authentic to how people talk and interact, which... It's kind of like that should be a very low bar for Marvel, but honestly, <laughs> most movies don't do this well at all. Oh, they don't. But you weren't you weren't super convinced when like what's her face Black Widow was hanging out with what's his face's kids in his farmhouse that we just learned oh, about. Gosh, <laughs> Hawkeye has a secret family. Why? <laughs> oh God, I forgot that. Yep. Yeah, as you should, oh. because they were forgettable. The movies have also forgotten that he has a family. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jesus, everyone was so textured in this movie, though. Mm. Like, even, you know, you could see how Zuri has been so committed to, you know, Wakanda and protecting everything for so long, and that, yeah. like, Forrest Whitaker was just evincing that in every line he spoke. You could see Okoye's, like, over-dutiful <laughs> actions. And she she was yeah. fucking. Oh uh, yeah, Ugh. no, she yeah. was like acting her face off for the entire thing. Yep. Uh, so gosh, great. her like reaction faces are some of the most like amazing. <laughs> oh man. I mean, She's I like so that great. she was a general that like had fun. Like she wasn't yeah, just yeah. a stone faced general. She was like, I mean, no, she's a person with loves and likes and friends. Like, so she expresses that, and that well, made her Rhino feel more real. Her. her love. No, the rhino, the actual rhino liked her. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it was just so likable. That was a great scene. Yeah. It was. Also, my, I cannot look away when Daniel Kaluuya is on the screen because he's just so charismatic. <sighs> <laughs> like, it's great. Yeah. Every, everyone's performance was so good. There was no, there were no weak links in this. No. No. Like, really, um, what's his face? M'Baku was oh, like, oh, God. Uh, Winston Duke. What a man. <laughs> I, I hope to see him a lot more things. He was really good in this. Yes. Right, like you you first meet him and like you get one impression of him and by the end of the movie you have a totally different impression of him. Yeah. Yep. And that was so impressive because it didn't it all felt consistent. Yeah. Like yes. every single aspect, like moving him from the like, you know, like mild antagonist who wants to you know, who challenges T'Challa to like a guy making fun of like like cannibal making cannibalism jokes. <laughs> <laughs> like actual gorillas it's so funny um <laughs> yeah like just kidding we are vegetarians that's one of my favorite lines of the whole movie it was so great and so, the delivery was like perfectly I, I really like the role of that particular group in this society i think it makes me want to like go read the comics or whatever because just like it's 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 like the segment that keeps them honest you know yeah. and it just yeah. and yeah, but I'm still confused because they're probably, they're like clearly like in the whole like Wakanda thing because like those like statues of gorillas that hold up things are like that requires engineering. They're clearly not like throwbacks. So. Okay. So apparently their thing is that they don't use vibranium. Oh. That's what keeps them different from the other four tribes. Like they are still like master engineers and all that stuff, but they've adapted to their surroundings. Instead but clearly of all, all of that knowledge is like derived from like vibranium and how it's used. Right. By the other four right. groups. Right. Yep. It's one of those yeah. things. I will, 
I will say, by the way, Julia, if you want to read more on Wakanda, there, Marvel canceled this, but Roxanne Gay actually had written Black Panther World of Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget how many issues they got through before it was canceled, but that probably would be a good jumping off point, I'm guessing. I don't know, because Marvel cancels and reboots everything, like, every week, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of really into, guess. like, secret, like, secret civilizations and stuff like that. It's one of those All things. All right, so do we want to talk about Killmonger? Ugh. <sighs> Yes. Yes, please. Please. We can start by just saying that Michael B. Jordan is a beautiful human being. I mean, everyone in this movie is beautiful. He was also really jacked. God, yes. Yes. He was also wearing armor inspired by Vegeta. True story. Yes. I believe it. Michael B. Jordan is a huge anime nerd. He's such a nerd. It's great. It's great. But yeah, no, his character was Killmonger. Yeah, he was that that's that's a great villain. Um, yes. I so obviously something a lot of people said is that he's a relatable villain. And I will say when I saw this movie with my sister, afterwards she was kind of like she, she I was asking her like who who she liked, who she related to, whatever. She was like, I mean, I kind of agree with Killmonger. I'm like, but how so? She's like, I mean if you gotta kill a few people, I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's not have this conversation. This is a lot for me right now. I mean, not quite that I far, but like, like T'Challa kind of agrees with Killmonger at the end too, right? Exactly. Right. And, like that's where she was falling, and I'm just like, yeah. okay, but like, we don't have to kill. She's like, I mean, Whitney, yeah. there's been a lot that has happened to us over the years. I'm like, okay, yes, that's a valid point, but that doesn't mean you should be killing as a result. But it was interesting because he he's made a lot of people think about like how they view. Uh, like pe- oppressed people and how they respond to things or and then people in like the diaspora and how they respond to things so mm. he's, yeah he's good. um because uh, we, we can definitely talk about this more in our second segment too when we talk about specific meaning because that's certainly like the power of nakia in this film i think too right is, right. is that place in that conversation but there's also this amazing amazing piece in the atlantic by adam serwer who i actually mm-hmm. love because his twitter handle is now t'challa like t'challa like holabred <laughs> he's a black jew so i think it's like the perfect handle that you could ever think of um and he wrote this piece it's called the tragedy of eric Kelmonger. Mm-hmm. and it was like just a direct quote he says the final distinction is crucial black panther does not render the verdict that violence is an unacceptable tool of black liberation to the contrary that is precisely how wakanda is liberated it renders a verdict on imperialism as a tool of black liberation to say Mm -hmm. the master's tools cannot dismantle the master's house Mm. yeah yeah but i mean what you like you're, you're right on to that it's like given this platform for everyone to really be digging into these issues in a way that's accessible like really accessible yeah well because because now people have two people to look at do you agree with do you agree more with Nikki or do you agree more with killmonger or do you just fall right with t'challa like let's just stay here mm, so it's right. easier to have the conversation mm-hmm. right i mean like the and that's the value of all genre fiction this way is that it can allow you to have that conversation in like from like at a distance because, like, mm-hmm. these are the same perspectives that have always existed. Right. Um, it's just that now we can talk about them in the world of Wakanda. What does it mean for Wakanda? And then that gives us, like, a sense of, like, emotional, you know, distance from it that we can talk without – it's easier to, like, approach that. Um, 
mm-hmm. because now you're you're you've removed it kind of from the like high tension setting that we live in. Even though it's, I mean, it's the same thing. It's just you've re- you're one step removed, and you can have a conversation in a different way. Um, right. Which is why, yeah, which is why it's so important because this is a conversation we need to have. Um, and a conversation that, that, you know, people like Kylie and Julia and I, as, you know, white people just need to listen to, like, I don't really have anything much to say about this conversation other because it's not my place to like talk, but like, we need to be able to listen into the conversation that is being had. Like, it's important for us to do that. I think also for a lot of white fans, especially the type of people that would be going to Marvel movies, not to broad brush or anything. (laughs) A lot of times it's just making people aware that this conversation exists. Yeah. Like, a yeah. lot of people don't know that <laughs> at all. Yep. And it to put it in the mouth of a quote-unquote villain who is really not all that villainous, like, no. it's powerful. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the moment that, like, the moment that I, that he crossed the line that Killmonger did was the line about the sun will never set on the Wakandan empire, which was such a like, yeah, good line to have be specifically because it's colonialist mm-hmm. um, and imperialist. But like that, like up until that point, I was like, he's, I get it. Like he's got such, he's got a point. And then he says that and I'm like, Ooh, that's, that's the step too far, man. But everything else, like, it, it makes sense. And yeah, because um, that's one of the conversations my friend and I were saying yesterday is, like, the more we watch this movie, the more we kind of relate to to Eric Killmonger. And, like, it, it makes sense mm-hmm. more and more. But there's definitely a line he does cross. But, like, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. Because it's, you know, he has the experience of growing up as a black American, which is very different than growing mm-hmm. up in Wakanda. And, you know, right. and this, the last time I watched it, the more he kept saying, like, look at you guys sitting all pretty and comfortable. I'm like, yeah, like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. It, it hit the whole overarching theme um, and and the end result of sharing Wakanda technology. It was, it was like more and more glaring in my face, I think, the more he, he, mm. he kept saying because he... You know, and then, and then that when um, Eric's getting, you know, in his own little ritual kind of thing, so he has that meeting with his dad, and little Eric mm-hmm. is saying, "Everybody dies. That's life around here," because that that was his reality, oh. and and it adds so much that more depth to his cool. character that at a young age, not only did he have to hold his dead father in his arms, and he knew how he died, but. He it became he became just like another statistic, another black man dead in Oakland, and but it it, mm. it was his reality, and and it made the character much much more flushed out in my mind, and like I believed it. I was like yeah, like yeah, I don't want to kill everybody, but he's kind of got a point. So what am I going to do with this information? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, because just think about what he could have been if he had grown up in Wakanda. Like even if they exactly. had taken him back. And explain mm-hmm. to him what happened with his father and then raise him in Wakanda versus leaving him to find his dad. Not knowing at that, like they didn't know at that point that he even knew about Wakanda, but we know mm-hmm. that he did. And so him putting together at a young age what happened and then having all these years to just stew on it, getting taken in by the American government and having them use him as a tool. Like yeah. this guy's been holding on to this for decades. So it's like I, I I totally understood his motivations. 
on like the personal level and on the. It was yeah, a very pointed but, kind of like nurture versus nature stance. Yeah. You know, like you have these people in this wonderful, like shining city of gold, basically, and the exact same people in Oakland. And yeah, Yeah. the movie definitely took a stance there. Yeah. How much you must have viewed Wakanda in Mm -hmm. a way is like just another oppressor. You know, how similar that stance is to like, um, like privileged white people in America. Of like, oh, right. Yeah, we can just step in and like kill. Not exactly the same, but just in the like. Oh, this is a country. They just came in and they killed my dad and left. Like, like let's not let's not overlook the fact that's supposed to stand for you know progress and whatever. Go ahead. So I was like, let's not overlook the fact that Wakanda has a spy in every country. They make sure to yeah. let us know about that. Like, it's not as if like yeah, Wakanda's closed off, but they made a point to have someone everywhere. And like, so clearly, clearly they're ready if they ever need to be for anything. But and it's they even like have that's, that. It's like. Clearly, they know. They would be aware of what's going on. Well, yeah, doesn't um, Wakabi vocalize this even before Killmonger comes to Wakanda with his ideas? That's like the first opening conversation with T'Challa and Wakabi, where he's like, I don't know about, you know, that outreach shit that Nakia was talking about, but... I'll fuck yeah, stuff up like, with you. Like that's yeah. basically what he was saying. Yeah, he's he's like, like, I'm thinking about like their their like cover story yeah. country with the mm-hmm. rhinos, and how like pointed pointedly it uses like the kind of like poor African country stereotype mm-hmm. in a very in a very conscious way. Just like oh, nobody cares about impoverished African countries, so if we just act like that, nobody will even notice us. They won't even mm-hmm. think about us. Uh, when we can, I'm sure we can gush about. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you how over time we are, Kylie. I'm not even going to tell you. I know how over time we okay. are. Uh, so <laughs> what we're going to do is quickly back off of Black Panther for just 10, 15 minutes and talk about other villains in media that we've maybe kind of sided with um, or found really compelling, at least in their own right and in what they're saying. And then we're going to get back into Black Panther with talking about themes and messaging. So fun segment time. <laughs> These items aren't for sale. How do you think your ancestors got these? You think they paid a fair price? So, yeah. Um. All right. Just let me. Okay. So we were talking about how much we found Killmonger really compelling as a villain. Um, and that's really, I think that's fairly rare in movies that you have a, a villain character that you can so identify with and, and sympathize with their point of view. Um, I think especially recently we've seen a, a, we've had a spate of just like very black and white types of worlds or like either that where it's like the villain is so evil that like, yeah, of course you got to punch him. Um, (laughs) Or, like, the villains and the protagonists, like, are basically the same people, and but the storytelling just wants you to side with one over the other for reasons. <laughs> what could you be talking about? Um, I was thinking about the hundred, but, I mean, I'm sure you have it, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, one of my favorite, like, well, not favorite, it's, it's weird to put it that way, but, like, one of the other villains that I think has that same, um, like, a gives rise to that same, like, sympathy would be someone like Magneto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until they made him a Nazi. Right. Which well, was, okay. Was okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Worst. Worst. No, um, that's, I will Let's say, not I have seen a lot of make people, Jews into Nazis. <laughs> now, I've seen a lot of people comparing Magneto and Killmonger. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, I mean, Mag- Magneto has a great point. He's just 
excessively violent. <laughs> right. Right. He's pretty great. And just because that's where my mind always goes, um, I totally thought of Kuvira from Legend of Korra. Yes. <laughs> it does not surprise me at all. Um, where, where you like, oh, it's a good idea, but it's a step too far. I mean, for me, that's where all the Legend of Korra villains are. It's like they have good ideas, but they go the step mm-hmm. too far. But especially for Kuvira, because you see them. You, you get a little bit more of their backstory and then they're given this power and they just totally you do the wrong thing with all of this power. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say Kuvira and Aman are probably a bit more compelling than Zahira and Unalak, just because Unalak, his step too far was like, I will be a dark avatar. You're like, yeah. um, okay, dude. Yeah. What do you have against and- Zahir? <laughs> Well, see here took one anarchy course and was like, this is, I'm, I'm sold. No world leaders. That's the way that people will be free. And you're like, um, okay, dude. But like, you know, I agree with Kuvira because the Earth Kingdom was in shambles, you know, mm-hmm. but then she began targeting like vulnerable populations within the Earth Kingdom. So mm-hmm. that's like, okay, you're out of balance. But then like Amon... It's uh, he's complicated because they didn't really do the issue very well, but it's kind of hard to disagree with him mm-hmm. if you look at debending as disarmament yeah. instead of like, you know, psychological trauma. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess his step too far was when he was like, "Hey, those survivors of genocide, let's get rid of their bending." And you're like, "Uh, okay, <laughs> you, yeah. you lost me on that one, Amon." Or, hey, this pro-bending athlete was a jerk, so he shouldn't bend anymore. But, you know, at the beginning, when he was going after triad members, yeah. it's like, okay. Or, or like, when, like, they decide on. that, like, they're going to have a curfew on all non-benders in the city, and you're like, um... Mm-hmm. Kylie, do you want to talk about Cersei or not? <sighs> well, okay, so, like, <laughs> Cersei's not even really a villain in my mind in season five of game of thrones yeah. like julia Ju- we'll link the stupid carol's landing <laughs> retrospective to explain that and in season six she kind of wasn't either until she blew everyone up and wine boarded a septa which i know that sounds like a big you know except for that one thing i mean but- yeah kind of though <laughs> But we accidentally made the villains the protagonist. Right? But then this season, in season seven, like, Cersei is obviously evil. Mm. Like, she gets turned on by violence. And that's, you can't really escape that, nor can you escape that she did blow everyone up in season six. Is there one thing she did that wasn't entirely reasonable? Yeah, like, all her decisions, you're like, well, I see your point. Even when she's like, well, why would we go fight North? And then they'll just crush us afterwards like well you're not wrong <laughs> entirely i mean like um, she so she sometimes I, likes to take a break to like torture people who she's mad at for perfectly legitimate reasons but like <laughs> you know like in terms of politics like all of her all of her decisions in season seven were like yeah okay yep i see your point <laughs> And like, and like, in a completely different vein, the real Cersei, the one in the books, is clearly villainous. Include like her actions are not justified in the same way that like we call her Cheryl, <laughs> that TV show Cersei is. But like, sh- like her psychology is so well developed that you can't help sympathizing with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or or like at least like kind of understanding 
exactly why she understand yeah. how she was formed exactly. by the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Just like kind of just like you know Killmonger, you're just like okay, fine. I don't like where you ended up, but like I entirely understand how you got there, and none of that was unreasonable. Yeah, I mean, I would say Killmonger has a lot more of a point than Cersei. Yeah, mm-hmm. like just in general. In general, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what they did on the show mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Like, I I can't even deal with that character. Where I literally can't separate her from Danny on the show in my mind. Mm-hmm. They do the exact same thing. It's just one's good and one's bad because the marketing tells us that one's good and one's bad. Yep. So okay. And uh, does the hundred have a villain that you side with, or is it just that like even the heroes kind of are assholes? <laughs> I, yeah, it's just even the heroes are assholes. Um, I found the villain in season two to be really compelling, but not that I agreed with him or sympathized with him. I just thought he was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just really love like villains who have like the appearance of like um <laughs> sophistication and like um civilization like, kindness. Yeah, but, like, end up just being, you know, horrible deep down. I really like that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I guess I could kind of see his point. Yeah. Probably he would be the most compelling villain. I don't – maybe – I don't know that I ever sympathized with him. Uh Because when you, like, when you first meet him, you're like, oh, he doesn't seem that bad. But then you're like, oh, but he's, like, experimenting on people. Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> like, you're, yeah, it, and it's not like in a really reasonable way. It's like we just want to be able to live outside and not be stuck in a bunker. So we're gonna like run science experiments on people. I'm like, eh, well, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I didn't find that sympathetic. He was just I interesting. Will, I will say everyone should watch Crazy Ex Girlfriend because everyone <laughs> should watch Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But they deconstruct the idea of a villain mm-hmm. to the point where. Rebecca has a song, I'm the villain. Yeah, they don't story. accidentally make the villain the protagonist. <laughs> they do it on purpose. No, <laughs> no but they just mm. kind of like call out the conception of a villain. Yeah. I think, honestly, the stories I'm most compelled <laughs> by don't really have villains. Right. Uh, I was like, 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 one movie, the other movie that I think of is like Maleficent, which mm. like turned a villainous character into someone who was sympathetic that you could side with, like intentionally did that. And I think that was a really, really like clever. And like interesting move, especially the story they gave her. If if we're speaking of Disney movies, like I think the Duke of Weselton had a point <laughs> in Frozen. <laughs> he just wanted a better trade arrangement. Like <laughs> we all know why not? that if you have a trade deficit, it means you're losing. <laughs> I can't wait for Frozen Two, where they form a. What was I say? It was like an international economic committee. Oh my gosh. That's going to definitely be the plot. And maybe Elsa could be gay, but probably not. Oh. But yeah, in general, like, the stories I'm most compelled by are the stories where there isn't a villain at all. Like, Black Panther, I actually think, is a pretty good example of it. Um, or when the villain the villainry that you're fighting is like your own demons and your own temptations. Like, like season you know, six of Buffy? <laughs> sure that's that's an example yeah well like i would put it as like that's the difference between a villain and an antagonist mm, yeah. yes because like a villain is typically someone who is like evil whereas an antagonist is someone i think i think of as antagonist as being like they're probably more sympathetic like they're just the person that's getting in the way 
of the hero accomplishing their goals. And that can be someone who is, like, malevolent mm-hmm. or that can be someone who, like, has a point. But, like, they're – like, they exist in the story to, like, complicate the hero's journey. And oh, I think – like Lionel Luther in Smallville. Right. And I think that that's, like, the role that, like, Killmonger plays. Right. Like, I don't think of him as a villain so much as I think of him as, like, he's the antagonist who, mm-hmm. like, complicates T'Challa's journey. Um, Not that he exists for that purpose, but, like, that that's the role he plays in the story. Like, that the narrative role. Yeah. And I guess Andy Circus is a villain a bit. Yeah, he's I would like say a he's a villain. It's hard to take him seriously. Yeah. Also, I mean, Kilgrave is is a uh, Kilgrave, a uh, Killmonger is is clearly like the actual Jesus. power yeah. in that relationship anyway. So yes, right. He's uh, more like a henchman. Yep, just a, a creepy, weird one. A creepy hand thing. Yep. Huh. All right. Anyway, that was that was a fun segment. Let's get back to Black Panther, though. Because yeah. we haven't been talking know, about so it this much, whole time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there's so much more to say. We're already over an hour. So we are going to transition back, and I'll just arbitrarily <laughs> cue music, because I can do that. Don't you think the world would be better off if leaders like them were eliminated? All right. So to close out our discussion of Black Panther, uh, we can we were starting to hit on this already, but there's the themes and messaging aspect to it. Uh, I also realized, and this is probably a good thing, that it, when I was listening to characters, I completely forgot Martin Freeman. Oh was yeah, in it and had a character. I mean, he. Oh my gosh, you're he, right. He, about the token white guy. He existed to get dunked on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The Tolkien what? white the guy. Tolkien <laughs> white guy is one of my favorite jokes. What was his name? Agent Ross. Ross. Okay, thank you. I mean, he was just basically there to like make sure it has something to do with Marvel continuity. I think. Yeah, like his his character was introduced in Civil War, but mm. literally to serve oh. as a vehicle to now be in uh, Black Panther. Because like he he didn't exist it because well, he's in the in the in the Black Panther comic books he's in there that's Everett Ross is a character who interacts with T'Challa and all them so mm. they introduced him in Civil War though so that we had another thread between the Marvel movies yeah okay huh yeah. he was fine I mean he yeah. was he was fine I like that fighter pilot. Um, <laughs> well I like that Sherry had to talk him through it while. Fighting yeah. her own battle. Yep. Well, um, it was like you know, never flown that before. It's reasonable. But she she gave him an American setup. Yeah, it's American style. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, it's American style. <laughs> I mean, and then he's like, "Well, wait, what do I do?" And she's like, "Obviously, you stop them." <laughs> I mean, I love. What else would you do? I love that Shuri got to call him a colonizer. Yes. Um, yes. Literally. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. And that his reaction was like, "Oh, oh, well, I mean, technically not." incorrect so yeah. <laughs> i'm just gonna move past that <laughs> that yeah that was great that was like um killmonger also had a similar line to the museum yes. curator yeah right? yeah oh that, oh, that was, was a great goal. scene yeah. oh my gosh that was a good that scene was amazing yeah there's was... an article that's come out maybe we should link it in the show notes talking about museums yeah, like, as a direct response to what we saw in that scene of mm-hmm. like, how do we as museums exist? Because what we see in Black Panther is accurate. Like, how do we like 
yeah, it's really, really good. We should link it. No, it, it was, like it was very discussion. It was very, like, the more I think about it, the more it's kind of, cause like, you have these like objects in this museum who are, they're like in these like cases behind glass and people kind of like stand there and read the labels. And then you have like the very same objects being used in Wakanda in this like very meaningful and very relevant like political ceremony. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, like how does, how, yeah, how does a museum like justify the way that it uses these objects? And, and first, like, how right. can they have an object made out of vibranium and not know? Like, they need they need to get some better carriers in that museum. <laughs> well, because they had all that like rust on the outside. Oh, but do they not clean <laughs> artifacts? I mean, they don't work in a museum. Yeah. But do they just get something, pick it off the from the ground, and go? Well, let's put it in the case and not worry about cleaning it. Like it doesn't make well, sense. Well, so a lot of museums are so understaffed that they have like literally a hundred years of backlog. So like they're they're like still cataloging <laughs> things from, like Darwin's exhibition, uh, uh, Darwin's uh, expeditions, going like, oh, this is interesting that Darwin found. <laughs> so uh, they just don't have time to clean shit. But yeah, if you're gonna like put it in display case, yeah, you should probably like know what it's actually made out of. Um, so yeah, I mean, we can, we, we brought this up earlier, but we could definitely talk more about like the, the tensions that we have between Killmonger and Nakia and T'Chaka. Um, one of the things I really loved is that, which I think was, was such a smart decision is that you have, um, both Wakabi and Nakia express like their perspectives on the direction that Wakanda should go in prior mm-hmm. to meeting Killmonger. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you have this already established mm-hmm. that like it's not like Killmonger is stepping in. He does step in and shake things up, but like those alternate perspectives kind of already existed within the people of Wakanda anyway that you already had people who are like no, we need to be helping. Like you have someone like Nakia saying like no, we need to like it's our responsibility given how much like technology and um, you know, resources that we have, it's our responsibility to like share that with the people yeah. who need it. Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting uh, to the fact that we do hear both of those perspectives and then T'Challa goes, says to both, uh, nah, I'm good. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> dad is cool. <laughs> well, you know, he thought his dad was perfect mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie a little bit. And then he learned what his dad did. With his brother. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I'm still kind of confused nephew. about. Like, why would he make that decision? But okay. To protect Wakanda. Yeah, it doesn't, it's, it's, it feels really weak to me. <laughs> and, and, um, yeah. And like, the more I watch it, it feels really weak. Like, oh, but we have this in a uh, tradition. And yeah, it, like, like, yeah, Again, the more I watch it, the, the, the more I'm like, <laughs> yeah, buddy, this doesn't like, make sense. We're not sense asking why he didn't me. take every single kid in Oakland. To Wakanda, we're asking why he didn't specifically take his nephew. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it it still doesn't really hold up to me, and um, mm. but also like what I was also thinking about is kind of like the throne room kind of thing where um where Mbaku gets his own throne and he's got his guards, he's got the long hallway, but in the Wakandan palace you have you have of course the grand throne, but everybody all the other council seats are pretty much equal and they're all sitting together and and it mm-hmm. really kind of struck me when um, they first bring in Killmonger and he's all, you know, tied up and before they realize who, that he's actually royalty, but then you see all the other tribal leaders get to speak up and they have they get to 
talk and they get to put in their own ideas, but it's still ultimately mm-hmm. T'Challa's call, but he listens to them. And I think that was really interesting because then you have like the, the leaders of the different tribes um, and how it just all shapes Wakanda. Mm-hmm. And it's not much patriarchy and someone in charge, but kind of mm-hmm. more like discussion um, and conversation together but still have a leader that they defer to, but everyone's voices are heard. Yeah. They have, they have yeah. that lip service, like with the challenges to this, like not being a hereditary monarchy too, which. Yeah. Which is, which is also really common. cool because yeah. when the second time yeah. T'Challa gets his powers back, my friend actually pointed out right. it. I mean, it gives me a little bit avatar cycle feels cause you see the, but you see the different colors. <laughs> and then my friend said, there's a lady in the background. Yep. Yeah, I noticed her yes. the second that, time. You know, with you know boobs and kind of air hourglass figures, so female presenting figure in the background. So it's not just all men who yeah. are kings. It could have very well yeah. been a, a, a lady who challenged or inherited the, the throne, which is cool. Well, and like yeah. it mm-hmm. makes sense because one, like no one said anything when Shuri raised her hand. Yeah, like, they were all just kind of like, "Are uh, you sure you want to do this?" But not like you're not allowed. Yeah. Um, and then um. The oh gosh, mm-hmm. um, I mean several of the champions, mother, like, yeah, some of the champions the, are women, the, right? Or at least half of them. Like you have right, the like well, people with the the very dangerous sounding like blade disc things. Um, well, what I was saying <laughs> was the like, champion um, was a woman. Yeah, that um, like they wanted to give like the flower to Nakia. Yeah, they wanted to make her a Black Panther. Like no question. Yeah, like there was true. never any like. I don't know, can we give it to a woman? Like, it was very clearly, like, to me, it felt very clearly like this is an equal opportunity thing. It has more to do with, like, ability than, like, yeah. gender. The the one thing, it's not really a criticism. I just, you know, this is more a symptom of Wakanda existing as a comic book land, uh, is that it was, like, a physical fight to ascend <laughs> to the throne unless you inherited it. I was like, oh. Okay, yeah. that's an interesting way to determine su- succession. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think it's it like like did they mention when the last time somebody actually challenged was? I don't. Think <laughs> you know, like, yeah. No. I think I think it's more like electing like a Habsburg as the Holy Roman Emperor. You know, just kind yeah. of yeah. Yeah, but I I did get the impression I think maybe what you were implying, mm-hmm. Julia, that like this challenge doesn't happen much. But I think like um. They probably have a proper was a name, but the gorilla people. Um, the Jabari. Do they always do that? Yeah, do they always do that? <laughs> it's kind of feel like they do that no, a lot. No, it's not like they didn't. Uh, no, because no. Shuri even well, Shuri even says, "Is that Jabari?" Like she had never seen them before. Yeah, yeah. Mbaku says, "Like yeah. the reason that they're stepping in is because like they feel like Wakanda isn't." You know, he says he makes a reference to like you're letting a teenager run your r&d department yeah um like your father was incapable of bringing you know was you know bringing in claw um claw like he has like reasons for why they're stepping in now and why they think now is a time that they should step in yeah although that teenager did you know revolutionize their transportation <laughs> system and they have balls that are medical healing balls <laughs> um, the I, lo- I love vibranium i love how it yeah. does literally everything yeah. <laughs> yeah the kamoyo beads yeah yeah i think it's great it's like you drink it you get powers you can use it for clothes you can use it for shields 
it can okay, those sound. blanket shields were so yes. fucking cool. The blanket shields yes. were lit. Just like, I love, like, I love the whole thing. Just like, oh, you think we're weak? No, we're not, huh? Like, those <laughs> blanket are shield. awesome. Yeah, this is so cool. Or like, uh, what was it? Akoya was like complaining about primitive. Oh, yeah. the gun! Gun! Like gun! So, so with the disdain on her face, it was perfect. Oh my gosh. I just love her weaponizing oh, yeah. a wig. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was like the best part like of the, the fight. But like the guns thing is actually it's really it's 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 cool to hear that so, because like everything they fight with is spears, blades, everything. So what we would view as primitive weapons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for her to be like, why like why are they shooting at us? This isn't the most primitive thing you could do. And then she just hops on top of a car with a couple <laughs> blades and a spear <laughs> and wrecks and wrecks them, yes. you know? Yep. Yep. In a dress. dress. Right. Amazing. Well, one of the things I love about that is, like, I think it's a really, especially now thinking about things like gun control, Mm -hmm. I think that's a really interesting unintentional commentary about how primitive it is to be able to just pick up a weapon and, like, spray, like, like mass murder people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, they value actual skill in combat. Right. Yeah. They value, like, and, and they value, like, takedowns. Well, like, because the only... They value, like, disarmament and mm-hmm. um debilitation over like death i mean the only wakandan you see use a gun is nakia but she's i mean she's yeah. also a spy yeah so yeah. like i i expect her to have those like i'm sure they could all I have use a problem with that scene too like they kind of left those women in the middle of the jungle <laughs> <laughs> she talked them out of killing the boy yeah, yeah she sent them and home. technically they can use the vans because he took the emp <laughs> things back so it was like I was reading this article a few weeks ago about this woman who was kidnapped by Boko Haram and she escaped and then she was literally like ten minutes later kidnapped by another Boko Haram. Group. Oh my god! <laughs> so like, <laughs> well, okay, maybe this is why Nakia was mad that her mission got interrupted. Okay, probably. Yeah, I mean, it kind of painted that whole situation as a little bit less complex than it actually is. Right. But yeah, that whole theme of like in involvement versus isolationism. Yeah. I think it was, it's just such an important thing to talk about. And it's also, um, I was relating to this movie kind of weirdly from a Jewish perspective with contextualizing traditions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in modern era. Because that's like kind of the whole tension of Jewishness and like every sect of Judaism, like reform and conservative and however it is. Because uh, there's a lot of things that you're like, well, I'll take this as allegorical, or hey, this tradition made sense maybe even 50 years ago, but not now. You know, stuff like that. I mean, it's like the kind so, of the importance of the performance of the tradition. Yeah. Like so they're all standing there at a waterfall. I don't, like, <laughs> I don't think this was like an intentional uh, parallel, but I was just like seeing a lot of it and seeing a lot of um, like debates I've had with people about, you know, brisses and stuff. <laughs> Um, so when M'Baku was like, yeah, you let a 16 year old with no respect for tradition, uh, lead your, you know, research and science and technology. I was like, yeah, but she's, the shit she's inventing is also really useful right right now Mm -hmm. and makes sense in the world right now. So it was just, it was just like a kind of cool tension that existed. And I think, again, it was like a platform for those debates. Right. Cause I mean, you have that with, with Nakia and Okoye as well. Like, it, it plays into their sense of duty, but, like, their sense of duty has a lot to do with the way they perceive tradition. Exactly. Yeah. I, I loved it, because Okoye was like, I won't go against the throne, but then as soon as there was, like, 
a sort of rationale. Like, look, T'Challa's still alive. That fight didn't If we have the elevator stop at every floor, we can totally ride the elevator. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. So Whitney unfortunately had to jump off. And that was a good reminder to us that we've been recording for (laughs) an hour and 20 minutes at this point. Uh, So, yeah, I guess just um, any closing thoughts on this movie? I think it's fantastic and everyone should watch it over and over again. <laughs> um, but no, it's, I think it's, yeah. it, it came out at a really good time. I think where we are politically mm-hmm. in our country mm-hmm. um, and just as a society. And I think it's fantastic. And actually one of the first things that I thought of when I stepped out of this movie is I can't wait to take my nibblings, but especially my nephew to go watch this <laughs> nibblings, nieces and nephews, nice and gender neutral term, but I can't, I couldn't wait can't to take, I couldn't so wait cute. to take my nibblings, but especially my 10 year old nephew and my eight year old niece to watch this movie where they can see, um, a really great superhero movie because they're both big superhero little geeks, um, but they're also not white. And to see someone that they can idealize and cosplay and identify with, especially because Shuri looks so much like my five-year-old niece also, like people that look like them, like Aww. they have the same jawline. It's, it, it was really striking. <laughs> um, but I, I can't wait to show the next generation this movie and have them growing up watching this as opposed mm-hmm. to my adult <laughs> waiting till my adulthood having to see this. And it's just, it's, it's just, right. I think another like um, turning point in the history of, of cinematic. Stuff. Yeah. Right. I mean, my, my niece is only eight months, so I don't think <laughs> it would be good for me to take her to a theater. That's probably very damaging, but it is kind of cool just to think like she's going to grow up where this is, yeah. more of the norm yeah. you know hopefully right. from here on out um right yeah and that's great yeah because there are two things that like i think um one i love walking out of black panther and feeling like wakanda is so big as a world that like yeah. they could make so many movies mm-hmm. like maybe explaining exactly how the educational system works yeah maybe um <laughs> but like Jesus someone God. someone pointed out um like made the comparison that like Wakanda like feels like the new Star Wars in the sense that like this is like a potential like universe that like yeah it exists at least with Wakanda like it it exists in the Marvel universe but you could do so many stories that are centered around Wakanda without necessarily having to engage with a whole lot of the other Marvel characters I want to hear about like different Wakandan spies like through history and the shenanigans they got up to like there's so much you could do with it. It's so rich and so well developed, and I think that that's awesome. And I and I agree. Like there's so much you could do with it. And the other thing that I like, I feel like Black Panther represent it does represent a turning point because you also have like Black Lightning existing at the yes. same time. And then to me, it was the announcement of the Woman King, like so swift on the heels of Black Panther that I was like, right? They can announce. They can start announcing movies like this. Like Black Panther yeah. and I think Black Lightning for television have made – they're so successful and so good that they're making space to make more movies like this and more TV shows like this. And I am just so excited to see more and like, like this. I know it's I know it's all Marvel Cinematic Universe for Black Panther, 
just like I know technically Black Lightning's a DC show, but they both like they both feel yes. pretty separate. Yeah, they which do. is I think <laughs> actually a very good thing. No offense to Marvel, I just that brand is so oversaturated in so many ways, and it was really refreshing to just go in and see a movie. It was self-contained. You know, I didn't really need to sit through the Sebastian Stan <laughs> thing at the end. Like that—that's ancillary. It doesn't—it doesn't matter. But it just—it felt so yes. complete. Mm-hmm. And right. yeah, I just that—that's one of my favorite parts of it. The other thing I want to say too, and we touched on this a little bit, is just everyone has a character arc except maybe Shori, kind of. But she's like, you know, she's a tertiary character or secondary character in this, so it doesn't matter too much. But like, T'Challa has one, Killmonger has one, Nakia has like a mini one, Okoye has one, um, M'Baku. Like, it's really kind of impressive when you think about how much transformation there was from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, with obviously Wakanda's transformation being the backdrop mm-hmm. of all of it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's rare. It feels like Last Jedi in that way, too, where there's just so much intentionality and it you can see how every single person fits into this, you know, and th- nothing feels extraneous, even if I wish like we had gotten a little bit more of Eric. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, it just feels it's it's so yeah. tight and it's so good. It's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And every and as as Whitney pointed out earlier, like every time I see it, I find more things. Like, more things to notice, more things to think about. I find it more intriguing. Like, the moment when I realized that the the opening part of the story wasn't T'Challa and T'Chaka, but it's um, Prince uh, Nigiri telling that story to Eric. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, ow. Oh, my feelings. (laughs) Like, huh. Like, yeah, and I find something like that every time I watch it again. It's just something else to be like, oh, yeah, I didn't see that last time. Yeah, like, I'm not going to rush my editing, but I really I think <laughs> I'm going to go see it tonight again. <laughs> every day. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, that's that's about all we got. Um. We would certainly love to have Whitney and Apple both back at some point. Yes. Apple, it seems like you have some things to I say about I have maybe <laughs> one or two things to say. Maybe half a feeling. Maybe one or two. Maybe as many as five uh, feelings, this, like, would you say? You, you know, what we're going to have to do is, like, by the way, if you want to hear more about Legend of Korra after this 50-minute discussion at Klexicon, here's a follow-up podcast. I think we'll have to. We should. I'm sure. Honestly, we, we're overdue for, like, a Korra Sami episode. Right. Uh, especially since it's aging, and I feel like sometimes dialogue doesn't take that into account a little bit. Well, and we have our so, piece coming out soon about Korra's healing we arc. We do. Yeah, Gretchen and I finally outlined it last night. Um, yes. So look for that in the next couple of weeks. If you like our Game of Thrones criticism, Julia and I are having our next retrospective come out in a couple of months, at the end yeah. of the month, I think, is what we have We're planned, uh, which is on Cherry Bomb. One of us is done watching uh, it, and one of us is procrastinating by cleaning her kitchen. <sighs> Dude, you have to catch up. Come oh on. My- if I did, I did this for you. After everything I've done for you, oh, God, I didn't ask you to do that, Kylie. <laughs> Speaking of and, guilt, yeah, uh, there's also a lot of other stuff we write about on thefandamentals.com, so you should check it out because yes, it's it's good stuff. News reviews, uh, you know, analysis, a lot of analysis uh, for what we do. I have a 
stupid Game of Thrones article coming out on uh, today, I guess, when you're listening to it, on the off-screen adventures that Game of Thrones didn't bother to show us of their characters. So that, that was a lot of fun to write. And yeah, if you enjoy listening to The Fundamentalist for our geeky thoughts, then subscribe, share us on social media, tweet about us. Yeah, tweet about The Fundamentalist. <laughs> I think that is a good idea. <clears throat> Hashtag The Fundamentalist. <laughs> um wow okay i'm gonna duck out of here because i don't even know what i'm saying anymore but thank you so much everyone for listening and we will talk to you next time bye everyone bye their speed strength and this is sorry hang on my someone's knocking at my door hang on Ugh. was it a package sorry i didn't know amazon delivers on sunday or it did it does it does oh yeah sometimes they do i married a sami sato so we're constantly getting things or order uh, delivered to my house i have no idea what it is <laughs> <laughs> it's so true what though. did you order honey it's so true she won't tell me <laughs>